Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Please open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. Philippians 1.29. In the Old Testament, we have a portrait in Isaiah 53 of Jesus Christ. It's a clear portrait, so much so that in many of the synagogues, the rabbis discourage um, their people from reading it. And in Isaiah 53, many of your Bibles, if you were to look at the top of the page, just like the prodigal son, when he goes into the far country, it says the prodigal son. With Isaiah 53, it says the suffering servant. That's what my Bible says. And tonight we're going to talk about suffering. And the title of the message is going to be, Follow Thou Me. Follow Thou Me. When Jesus Christ came, he said in Matthew 10.34, he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Uh, Do you know what a sword does? It's an offensive weapon. It's sharp. It's meant to cut. And it's meant to hurt. You can imagine going into a a sword fight with a a sword-length butter knife. You wouldn't do very well. And in, in, in many places, that's what's happening to the gospel. We've, we've broken off the tip. We've, we've dulled the blade down. We've made it acceptable to the world. And to be quite frank, the Bible's very clear. The gospel's an offense. It's an offense. And people are going to be offended when you declare the truth of Christ. It, nobody likes to be told they're a sinner, right? And as we talk about suffering, I, I hope to help everybody to see that we all at times avoid it. Nobody looks forward to suffering. The Bible says Christ endured the cross, despising the shame. And so, this thing is low. Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Given can mean to grant as a favor in kindness. Kind of like a gift. Suffering's a gift to you. We don't view it that way. But it is. In Ephesians 2.8, it tells us faith is a gift. Right? And what we just read, it tells us, for unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, Right? This is not fire insurance, but also to suffer for his sake. This is the Bible. To suffer for his sake. Suffering and faith and belief are paired together here. You don't get one and not the other, you get them both. It's a package deal. Just like grace and mercy, you know, we love that. But suffering's part of the package deal. 2 Timothy 3.12 
We're going to see Paul the Apostle had a lot to say about suffering. And if anybody knew about suffering, it was him. If there were degrees in that, he would have had lots of letters after his name because he suffered a lot. He suffered a lot. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He said all. Those who live godly will suffer. There, there is no maybe, there is no possibly. We're going to suffer if we desire to live godly. So what does that tell us? If you don't live godly, you won't suffer. We have to pick a side. We either have to walk with the king and suffer, right? His was a cross. He said, take up your cross and follow me. That was offensive, right? A cross. We wear it on our necklace and we decorate ourselves with it. But if we think about it, it was an instrument of execution. Do you see anybody today walking around with an electric chair around their neck? No. No. Because it's an instrument of execution. It's something to be taken very seriously. God in Christ was crucified for living a life that we are to follow. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is just reasonable. This is rational. This is what is expected of you. You're not going above and beyond by presenting yourself a living sacrifice. You're living the normal Christian life. That's the normal Christian life. It's presenting yourself each day a living sacrifice. We're to expect this in our daily life. And it's, listen, it's going to get worse. It, it's getting worse as we speak. If you're willing to stand up for Jesus Christ and not be a weasel, you're going to suffer persecution. You might not get beat up. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. They really suffered. We might not get beat up right now. We, we might not get um, you know, nailed to a cross and uh, boiled in oil or, or whatever some of these older saints went through. But we are going to be harassed. If you haven't, I don't know what to say, but the Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's God's word. That's not my word. So, question, uh, how is it that the world crucified the Holy One, the holiest one who has ever lived, and yet for some reason it can get along comfortably with us? Why is that? Why is that? Christian means little Christ. If we're a little version of him, ought not the world despise us? I don't mean going around being mean. Christ was never mean. But he was true. When he, when he stood there uh, before the high priest and they smacked him on the mouth, he said, what did you hit me for? If, if, if I've done evil, speak of the evil. They couldn't say nothing because he, he was suffering for righteousness sake and that's the call for the Christian. We're told our, we're, we are instruments of righteousness. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers of the false prophets. These are the words of Christ in Luke 6.26. He just said, I'm paraphrasing, be careful when all people say about you is good. That's not a good sign. When you stand up for what's right, salt stings. Caleb Robinson was here and told us a lot about salt when he was here. Salt stings. 
but it does bring a healing effect. It's like medicine. I mean, you take it, you don't like the taste, but in the end, it brought about something good. That, that's what the Christian is to be like. We're not to be pressed into the mold of this world. We're not to be squeezed into it. This whole system is working against us to make us progressive and liberal and acceptable. And he wasn't acceptable. That's why they nailed him to a cross. They didn't nail him to a cross because he was liberal. It was the total opposite. It was because he was truth incarnate. He was God with skin on. Our Lord's perspective is an heavenly one. Matthew 5, 11 through 16. I want you to ponder these words from the crucified one. Matthew 5, 11 through 16. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Isn't that interesting? He, he just said something different about the false prophets in Luke 6.26. Verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be, tr- be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill, cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If we were to look back at verse 13, at the very end of that verse he says, that when a salt loses its savor, what is it good for? But to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. In the context here, for suffering for righteousness' sake, we are told if you are not salt, your Christianity is good for nothing. Nothing. This is, the, this is Jesus saying this. This isn't read in my Bible, and this is what he says. Blessed are ye when men revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you for my sake. He has a totally different perspective than we do on suffering and being mocked and being ridiculed. There's a special fellowship that goes on when you're willing to do this. He's Lord. Lord of all or not Lord at all. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but much rather reprove them. Ephesians 5.11 Reprove can mean confute. It can mean convince. It can mean to tell a fault. To prove a person or an assertion wrong. Express sharp disapproval. The implication here is if we do not reprove them, we have fellowship with them. It's pretty heavy, isn't it? Hmm. The light of reproof coming out of the mouth of a faithful reprover reveals this to be sin. Are we so nice that we will watch our neighbors and our loved ones walk in darkness all the way to hell? Do we have the lover guts to come to someone with a heart of compassion and tell them, you're lost, you need Jesus Christ, you've sinned, we've all fallen short. There's no other way to share the gospel than to let someone know they're a sinner. You cannot get saved until you get lost. You cannot. You cannot. 
Speaking the truth in love. I didn't say this was easy. Jesus didn't say it was easy. But it is the call. The difference between a lighthouse and a nightlight. You'll find the shore when there's a bright light shining. If there's a nightlight sitting there, boom, against the rocks, done. That's the lives of those who do not see the light of the gospel. And for those who are shining their light, and those who are still getting shipwrecked, they've rejected light. But we are responsible to share that light. And I know that those make it home safely with the Lord Jesus one day will thank you that you were light in their life. I can guarantee you that. Philippians chapter 3. Paul's still talking about suffering. And here we're going to see he talks about it as though it is something very special. Philippians 3, 8-10. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable to His death, the fellowship of His sufferings. There's a special type of fellowship Paul's talking about that you cannot experience unless you're willing to suffer for Christ. I think this is a rare type of fellowship, but I don't think God intended it to be that way. Dung here can be rendered thrown to the dogs. When you're out at a picnic and you know somebody eats a hot dog and there's a little nub of bun, they might throw it to the dog. That's just what this Paul says. Everything compared to Jesus Christ is just worth throwing to dogs. It's, it's next to nothing compared to him. And this is, the, this is what we have and we experience. And many times we're so concerned about whether others will think about us before we talk to them. The fear of man bringeth a snare. That's a trap. That's not a good place to be in. You don't want to be the animal with the trap on its leg. The fear of man brings a snare, but the fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. The end of that verse, in verse 10, he said, being made conformable unto his death. Paul wanted to live his life in such a way that he wanted people to think of the death of Christ when they saw his life. Acts 5, verse 41 and 42. Very, very familiar portion of Scripture. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Did you happen to notice that the people that are willing to suffer for Jesus, a matter of fact, they're rejoicing here, that they were counted worthy to suffer. This is a privilege. They're glad. Were daily and in the temple every day and ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They couldn't stop talking about Christ because He was real to them. He wasn't just the guy we talk about on Sunday. He was truly Lord of all. The King of the universe. The only Savior. The one who conquered sin and death. The living Redeemer. 
If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. 1 Peter 4.14 We heard something about Peter on Sunday night. How he was warming his hands by the world's fire. This is a different guy here. He wasn't hanging out with the world, avoiding the suffering. Right? That's what he was doing there. He was avoiding what came with being close to Christ. And he'd rather be with the world, the ones who hated his guts, who were calling for his death. He'd rather sit by the fire and warm his hands with them. But here it's a different guy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. He knows he missed out on a blessing when he was sitting by that fire. Now granted, praise God, he works it all together for good. We're able to look at that and learn. We're able to look at that and learn. Thank God for that. The spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. That, I think if all of us were asked, do you want the spirit of God resting on you, we'd all say yes. But at the cost of being reproached, at the cost of people making fun of me and harassing me. The words suffer as at times translated vex. Both words can be defined as an impression felt that is painful. Harassment would fall into this definition. To, to grow weary as to be overloaded. Have you ever felt overloaded from the way people are talking about you? I'm sure there's people out here whose families think they're nuts because they spend their Sundays going out to hear the Word of God. They pray. They don't want to go out to the parties, right? You used to run to that excess of riot. No more. What's wrong with you? Come on, you're a holy roller. I know I've heard that. <laughs> Cast to the dogs. It's, it's like dung. All that approval of man, all that power and prestige that comes, you know, popularity, that's going to mean nothing in glory. That's going to mean nothing in glory. We should be heavenly minded. When Paul wrote, do not be weary in well-doing in Galatians 6, 9, he reminded the Galatians that there is a harvest to be reaped. It's really not about us. I think when we avoid the suffering, who are we really thinking about? The glory of God? or our comfort needs, our convenience, or the king. This Christian life is a narrow path to which if we look for an easier route, looking to bypass difficulties, harassment, avoiding suffering, we will no doubt get into trouble as Christian did in Pilgrim's Progress. If you've read it, every time he got off the course, he was in problem, he was in trouble. Jesus took no shortcuts. Aren't you thankful for that? The devil was offering him plenty of shortcuts. Oh, just bow to me. Oh, you know, turn these stones to bread. Come on. Just not having it. It is written. It is written. It is written. That's what he said. No shortcuts. This is, these are good works. When we're willing to suffer for Christ, this is a good work. None of us likes to be mocked or made fun of or teased. We all naturally want to fit in. That's, that's human nature. 
But we've got a divine nature now. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2.21 I just want to remind everybody here that Jesus Christ left heaven. He left the splendor of heaven. He left the worship of angels. He left the glory. He left the sinless, perfect environment where He was the center of all focus. Knowing that what He was going to encounter when He came here, not just being harassed like we typically deal with, not just being mocked. He endured all these things in addition to the cross and having the full wrath of God poured on Him. But He was completely humiliated for us. Will we not allow people to just say something about us and people to whisper at work? That's the guy who reads his Bible on his break. <laughs> like, really? Like, it, to me, that's kind of an accompl- a compliment, if you ask me. When I'm, when I'm thinking of what's really important, I think that's actually kind of a compliment. Though they might not intend it that way. I guess God works it for good in that way. But they beat him so badly, he couldn't be recognized. This is the Son of God. They, they took him and they ripped his clothes off and they gambled for them. Do you not understand how humiliating this is? He hung there naked for the whole world to see. And he loved us so much he did that. And he put it in his book. It's the greatest seller of all time. Nothing will ever touch the Bible. Man's tried to destroy it. And here it is still. Oh, and months back, I remember the name. It's Voltaire. That's the guy who said, the Bible, it'll be done. And after he died, his house got turned into a Bible publishing house. It was Voltaire. So, <laughs> he's worthy. He, the humiliation he went through, we will never understand. To be separated from his father... We will never be able to understand that, even throughout all of eternity, that he became sin for us. The thing he hates most, he became. Father, we thank you so much for what you did in sending your son. And Lord, we're, we're in awe of what you've done in Christ. That we even get to come and talk to you is something we know none of us deserve or are worthy of, but we thank you for it. We rejoice that we have this truth that we get to share with others. And we know it's hard. We know it's getting difficult in the world and there's great hostility towards the things of eternity. But God, I pray you'd, you'd give your people Holy Ghost boldness. I pray you'd help us, Lord, not to try to water down the message in order to get numbers. God, I just pray you'd help us to stick with the truth of the Word of God. I pray you'd help us to live it because we read it and we study it and we love it and we count it like David as treasure, that we'd pant after you like a thirsty deer, that we'd fight for our time with you, Lord, as 
All of us deal with things trying to crowd you out. We need your grace. We need your strength. Lord, we, we know we can't do this on our own, and I, I just pray you'd help us. Give us wisdom as we navigate in this world. Give us the right words to speak to people, Lord, that we wouldn't take this message and share it in a way that is mean, but we do it with the right spirit, with a broken heart that we'd hurt over the people around us who are living in sin, who don't, who don't care about you. I pray you'd open up eyes, Lord. All we can do is call upon you and scatter the seed. I pray you'd bring forth the harvest. Help us not to grow weary in well-doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.